Uh, welcome back, Life on the 110. So the, the idea behind what we're, we've been talking about this season together as a church is that you've got 168 hours in the week. No, doesn't matter where you live. It's, that's just the way it is. You've got 168 hours in the week. Of those, you, if you're kind of a normal person, you'll sleep about 48 of those hours. That leaves you 120 hours that you are awake every week. So if you're awake 120 hours, at most, you'll be doing church stuff, gathered together as God's people, as the church, maybe 10 hours a week, which means you know, we gather here on Sunday morning, you'll gather with your small group, uh, you might do a service project together with other, you know, other mission groups that we're connected with. At most, about 10 hours a week, you might do that. That leaves 110 hours that you're awake, that you're not gathered with other uh, church people doing church stuff. And yet, in those 110 hours, we are still the church. We are still God's people. That Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ didn't just die to redeem the 10 hours, but to redeem all of our, even actually the hours you're asleep too. But Christ has redeemed all those. We're trying to focus on where has God called me in the 110 hours that I'm not doing church stuff and I'm not sleeping. And how can I be aware of his presence and what he's doing, what he desires to do in and through me in that time on the front lines of my life. We call that sort of, that's my frontline ministry when you're out in your 110. So we kind of use this motif of a highway with the 110. That's not New England for sure. That, where is that? That's got to be like Colorado before you hit the mountains or somewhere else, Midwest, very flat. We have 110 highway. It's very windy and right along the Merrimack River. And it, some of you literally live on the 110. But we're considering kind of how do we all live on the 110. And it's, it's, it's simple in some ways. It's as simple as just owning the places where God's called you. That wherever you are, God has called me to that place. I have a, a friend of mine in my small group. He's an architect. He said, look, when I do a drawing and I do it beautifully, that's worship to God. Because I, I experience God's presence as I draw beautiful things. And he said, sometimes I get asked to draw things that aren't beautiful, things that are very Simple or ordinary. Right now, he has to re, he has to retrofit a, a self storage units, which I don't know if you're familiar with these buildings. So they're very sterile. Like that's not fun, and it's hard to. How do I worship God as I'm drawing a new elevator inside of an existing storage unit? But at the same time, you know, God is present. Just owning the fact that every act of work you do and every task you have, that the presence, the very presence of God is there with you, and you are still on mission for the Lord in everything. Uh, it's about owning those spaces, and people do, and I love it. One of, one of the kind of the proudest moments as a pastor was I was at the gym, and that somebody introduced me to a friend and said, oh, this is my pastor, JP, my pastor. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. And the woman looked at me, and she said, everybody at this gym goes to your church. <laughs> and I was so, I, I just so happy. And it's not that everybody at that gym goes to this church, but... Uh, the people who do just own it, and they speak well of their church, and they speak well of their Lord Jesus, and they just speak of their faith. And you can go to the gym for all kinds of selfish reasons, vain, you know, vanity, uh, just my own self-image, my own fear of death, my own whatever. But when people go and they, hey, I'm just, I'm here to, to be healthy, but God has me here. God has me here for a purpose, not just for myself, but for Him. And I can share that with the people around me. So I just, it's, in some ways, it's, it's very complicated. In other ways, it's very easy. And the beautiful thing is I'm not, we're not starting a new, this is not a new church program. This is just us. I'm not asking you to give more of your time. I'm asking us all to take the time that we've been given already with a new lens 
and seeing what God is doing around us and entering into that. And it's just a beautiful way to live life. And that's why we're, that's why we're in this series. Today, uh, we're going to look at what is the source of my life in my 110? In my 110 hours that I'm not at church, what's the... What's the great motivation in this? And there's a phrase this morning, it's about being raised with Christ. Since we've been raised with Christ, we have, uh, there's a whole new thing that's happening. And it's, it's, uh, it's going to bring about a new heart and mind, a new way of, of living and a new community that we're a part of. So I want to look at those three things. Let's pray as we do. So Father God, what a joy, what a privilege to stand before you, the creator of the universe, and we are just people. We are just in, in broken people. Yet we can communicate with you and you to us by your spirit. Lord, we can worship you. We can be called your children. May we never take this opportunity for granted. May, may we just return to you with hearts of praise. So in this time, as we look at your word, and we know that you're here, and we know that your spirit is active, Lord, may we just embrace it and and. Drink deeply from your word as you continue to shape us and renew us as we are raised with your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So there's a new, there's a new life that is born when we are raised with Christ. That's the phrase here, since you have been raised with Christ. So what does that mean? By faith, we are joined to Jesus. And we, we, we sang it this morning. We were singing, um, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. There is the condition of sin and fallenness that every, that is the condition that we all have. Because God made us and he made us good and he made us for perfect fellowship with him. But we have rebelled in sin and we've gone our own way and, and we've inherited that and we've done it ourselves and we are just dead. But Jesus Christ comes and he lives a life of faith that we could never live. In a perfect life. And he dies. And scripture says it's as if we died with him. And what died there was sin and all of its consequences. All the spiritual deadness, all the separation from God. It dies with Jesus and he rises to new life. And through faith, we are connected with him, and we are raised with him to this new life. He's raised us up from the grave. And there's a new thing that's happening. All the brokenness of the world, God is recreating it. He's making it new. So we have been raised to this new life. And there's a way of living now that's possible, that's only possible, because we've been raised with Christ. It brings about a new mind, a new way of life, and a new community. As we live that way, it proclaims what Jesus did to the rest of the world. It will change. if, As we live this way of life, it changes the world around us as we usher in this new thing that God is doing. And it, so this passage of Scripture describes that way of life in some detail. And this, in here, we're going to come across a couple of lists, like a list of rules. Now, if you're new to the Bible or if you're just kind of exploring Christianity, you look at this and say, well, of course, I mean... Christians are, you know, moral people, or they're trying to be moral people, and this is Christian morality, and you just try to live good lives and live by the rules that are laid out in Scripture, and that's, that's what most people think. But that's not what's going on here. This 
in fact, this teaching follows from the end of Colossians chapter 2, of course. So the end of Colossians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we don't become holy and set apart for God's purposes by following rules. And we're not, we don't, yeah, we don't try to be holy by following rules. We're not bound by the Jewish law and all these rules. So we don't follow lists of rules. But then flowing from that comes this list of what looks like a list of rules. What's the difference here? What's the, it's all about the source. Where does our obedience come from? Holiness is not found in following rules. Holiness is found in following Jesus. And there's a way of life that flows from my connection to Jesus. And when I, when I have that, then I can truly deal with, with that sin and that broken part of me that has, is dead and dying I can truly deal with that. It's the difference between a rule, or following a rule, is like taking, if sin is like a dangerous animal that wants to attack you and kill you, a law just kind of puts it in a cage. So I don't go near it. The law separates me from that thing. As I live in faith to Jesus, it's not putting a cage around that animal. It's killing it. It will no longer have power over me. I don't I'm not afraid of it. I have a, a whole new way. I'm not just putting a boundary around it. It's being put completely to death. And that's the image. So love puts that old way to death, and it brings about a, a new way of, of faith and following. Again, a new mind, a new way of life, and a new community. So just quickly through these three things. New mind. Look at verse right here in the first verses. This is on the back of your bulletin. So since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You have a whole new status, raised with Jesus. You have a, your, your life is now his possession. It's, it's in him. It is with him. And because of that, you, can, you reset your heart and you reset your mind. We see in verse 1, resetting the heart. You know, set your heart on things above. Verse 2, set your mind on things above. And you don't have to struggle to attain this new life. It's something that by his grace, he's just given it to you. He's, he's given you a new life. So it's this status that God has given me with him that drives this new life. So my question for you is, what's your status with God? Do you know your status with God? Do you feel that you are a child of God, that you have been forgiven, that the old sinful and broken way is dead and dying, and that you, are, that you have been given new life? And, and the way to, to answer that maybe is ask this question. When you picture God looking at you, you maybe you picture God's face, and God is... Spirit. God you know, doesn't have a face. But if you were to picture God, what is his posture and his face towards you? When God looks at you, when God thinks of you, does he think, is, is he just sad and disappointed or angry at you? Because if you receive new life and you receive forgiveness, you understand that your position before God is as a, a loving heavenly father loves a child that you are forgiven, that he is pleased with you, that he has accepted you into his family. 
And God's not shaking his finger and shaking his head at you, but it has his arms open to embrace and to lead and to guide you. That's your status, and that's the basis of the new life. It's the foundation. And we can set our mind on that, and as we set our mind and as we set our heart on him and on his things, then we, we can live this way of life, this new way of life. And it's not just, when I say set your mind on things above, that's not just positive thinking. It's not just think good and positive thoughts. And that's, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, we should think positive things. But it's about setting my mind on the things that Christ is doing in the world around me. When I wake up, my default mindset is about my own health and well-being. It goes like this in my own mind. I wake up. I think to myself, how did I sleep last night? Am I ready to be awake? Did I sleep well or not well? Because some nights I sleep well, some nights I don't. Oh, I had some dreams or I had to get up and go to the bathroom. Or I'm just trying to think of what happened last night that makes me feel the way I do. And then I do this um, sort of a, a creaky, a creak check. Like, okay, what hurts today? Like, my neck, like, my neck's okay. My it's a little off. And you just sort of do this, like, am I ready to be awake? And is my body working? That's setting my mind on very earthly things. To set our minds on Christ is to wake up and say, Lord, what? Oh, and, and then the other part of that is I do my to, I go through it, start going through the to-do list. What do I have to get done today? And do I have enough? Did I sleep well enough? And am I, is my body creaking not enough to be able to, to accomplish the things that are before me today? Setting my heart on things above would sound more like, Jesus, where do you have me today? What do you desire to do in and through me today as an agent of your kingdom? What's in store for me? I had a great experience this week. My friend, a friend of mine, was able to visit. We took some time off. It was a school vacation week. Went to visit a friend. Uh, an old friend of my family, and he said to me, he, we went to a, a park, we were in, he lives in Virginia, and we were uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, we hiked in, and we had a little picnic, and he met someone who turns out to be a new, new to town, and they, were, they both had little one-year-olds, and they were feeding their babies, and they were making conversation, and they just sort of kind of hit it off, and after we left, he said, you know, you never know the divine appointments that God will put in your life on any given day. He said, I didn't have to sit on that rock I was sitting on, and they sat on the rock they were sitting on, and we happened to have our kind of matching one-year-olds, and we happened to start a conversation. But it turns out it was, a, it was a couple that was just looking for friends. They were lonely. They were in a new place. They had a baby, which means you don't get out a lot. You know, they just, they needed to connect, and, and they were able to exchange phone numbers and, and connect, and they'll get, I'm sure they'll get invited uh, to their church and to, to a new community and a new life. But... Just the openness. He was just so great. My friend was, my point is that he was grateful to God for the opportunity to just the intersection of life that he brought in. It was just, it was an intersection that you could have gone on that trip and hiked away and not even thought of again. But God's at work in our everyday. This is a resetting of the mind. It's a resetting of the heart. Lord, what are you doing? So, uh, so we have a new, a new heart, new mind. Secondly, a new way of life, verses 5 through 10. Now here's two, I'll call these my two ugly lists. we get two really ugly lists here. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now remember, this is not, 
This is not spiritual achievement. This is loving obedience, following Jesus. This is not just cages around sin in, the, in our lives. This is putting to death. That's the language of Scripture. Put to death what belongs to our old way, what is called the earthly nature. We're putting off practices that are self-seeking and divisive and harmful to others, that if we were to live them out in our day-to-day -day lives, it would negatively impact the context in which we live and work. But we're new people. We're a new creation. We can shape the culture of the places we live and work in a positive way. So here's the two ugly lists. And better to name these sins than to just kind of drift into some unnamed thing. Here we go. The first list in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This, if I were to summarize this list, it's all really sexual sin, and, and, and some would argue that all five of those things, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and greed in the sense of insatiable covetousness, all have a sexual connotation, when you, especially when you string them together like that. Greed, no matter how you slice it, is, is bad. The question is, why is sexual purity so important to name? And it all boils down to this. If I, if I have a new life and I've been raised, it, I, I believe that God created me, that God created everything about me, including my sexuality, and that God has put good and healthy boundaries around that. In fact, his word says that my sexuality reflects his love for his people. And there's a goodness to it that God made it. And God made it good. And, and so there are boundaries around it. A, a, a river is very beautiful until it spills its banks. A fire is, can provide warmth and comfort until it gets out of the fireplace and burns the house down. It's, 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 in, it's important because it reflects our relationship to God and it is good. And we are, we are not just bound by our own lustful desires. We are bound by the love of Jesus, which can lead us in good paths, in healthy ways. If these things are a struggle for you, tell someone. There is hope and healing in a new life that's available. And, but that's the, first, that's the first list of things that we're putting to death, is these sexual sins. The second list, I'll call them all anger, or anger and is particularly through words. Verse 8. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. All these ways that we can, that anger and rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying specifically is singled out. You don't have, you're a new person, you don't have to lie. We don't use our words to condemn and to cut one another. Why is this list important? Well, it's, be, it's because if we are, if this new thing we're being made into reflects God, it reflects Jesus. The God of the universe, when, when creation, when we as people turn from him and go our own way, he's, God's anger and his wrath is, is righteously correctly towards us in that, that we've abandoned him. Yet God does not, does not give us what his anger deserves. He, he, that goes on Jesus on the cross. 
And we receive grace. And we receive love. We receive truth. As, as his people, we can extend this to the world around us. Instead of responding in anger and rage and malice and slandering people, we can respond to people with forgiveness and with grace and words that have truth in them because we've received that so greatly. So we have these two ugly lists. Christians are notorious for not uh, following these lists. Christians are notorious for not dealing with these sins. And it's, it's strange or funny that Christian communities tend to really emphasize one of these lists over the other. So you have groups of people who are very moral in their behaviors and their sexuality, but they, tend, they can tend to be sort of gossipy, slandering kind of people, especially people who aren't as moral as they are. So they've got one list down really well and the other one not so much. Or the other way around. Groups that are very harmonious and very uh, uh, harmonious and we all get along, and, but we kind of ignore some of the, the sin and immorality because we want to keep the peace. Yet both these lists right next to each other, this is new way of life. We can live into both of these things. It's a whole new way of life. And it will change, again, these lists, these are things that will divide people. These are things that will, uh, are very self-seeking. And we can, we can live very self-giving lives. It's a whole new way of life because you've been raised with Christ. So you have a whole new mind, a whole new way of life, and finally, a new community. Look at verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This renewal, this newness in Jesus being raised with Christ extends beyond ourselves and it brings people together who otherwise would be divided. He, that we are one in Christ in a way that transcends racial barriers and social barriers and ethnic divisions and other barriers. And therefore, we have the answer, Christians, we, followers of Jesus Christ, we have the answer to a world that says, how can we be united across things that divide? And where is it to be found? And how do we promote unity across the ethnic divide and racial divide and, and socioeconomic divide? And how can we be one? Christians, we have the answer. In Jesus Christ, we are all created by God. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. We, none of us has earned it. It's just his goodness. And, it, and when I... When I receive that, I realize that I'm no better than you, and, and you're no worse than me, and I'm not superior, and he's superior, and we're all his children, and we can love each other, and we can be unified. We have the answer, but you know what? The world doesn't care. They don't care. We're in a country where people say, well, what's the answer to, you know, to, to racial inequality? Nobody's saying, well, Christian, what do you believe? Christian, tell me, help me, Christian, understand this, they don't care. Why? Because we've ignored these other two lists. Christians have no voice in the public square. Or no, no strong voice, certainly not as it once was. I talk, I talk to more people. You know, 
Oh, your pastor. Yeah, I used to be okay with the church, except for all the, it was all these scandals, and I'm done with it. List number one. Oh, yeah, I, I was raised a Christian, but those people, they're, they're just judgmental. It's just, it's just rules. It's just angry at other people's sin. I, you can have it. List number two. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We just live it. We live it out every day. In the 110 hours that God has called you to be his people when we're not gathered together like this. Yeah, we live it when we're gathered like this first. But then we take it with us into our everyday and we live lives that show people that we value people who are different than us. That we use our words to love and to forgive. That we use our bodies to honor the Lord. You can't, do, you can't undo all the wrongs that other Christians have done and stupid things that Christians have said. And, uh, you can't undo all that, but you can change your front line. You can change the people. You can change people's per perception of who Jesus is. You ever find yourself in a situation where you're, somebody finds out you're a Christian, but you have to couch it in language? Maybe it's a coworker. You say, oh, I'm a Christian. But then you have to, you know, but I'm not a Christian like that. That's sad. And, but we can, we can, we can live this. Not because you're so good at it. Not because uh, you're better than another Christian who isn't as good as you are at being Christian. It's because you've been raised with Jesus Christ and you have a new life. And you have a whole new source for this thing. Your status as his child. You can change your front line. We can take every opportunity to show that there can be a unity of people regardless of things that would otherwise divide. So there's, your, there's a way of life. It's a, you're raised with Jesus Christ. You have a new heart and mind. You have a new way of life and a new community that we can live out. We proclaim it to the world. It will change the culture around you. I didn't, I didn't come up with a statistic, but it's, it's got to be at least close. 98% uh, of Jesus' church will never be a paid church worker. I'm a, I'm a church worker. That's what I do. But 98% of all of the kingdom of God will never be a paid church worker. And sometimes we get it so backwards that, you know, that, uh, that somehow me as a pastor, I, you know, I have a frontline ministry. You know, or a missionary, a foreign missionary is a frontline ministry. And that everyone else is sort of the, the resource team and the support team. And it's the, the reality is just the opposite. That Jesus Christ is at work in his people everywhere. That the, the small fraction of us who are the, the church workers are the resource team, the support team, the support people to go out on their front line and live it out. So we just need to own those places, and we just always need to remember our status of raised with Christ, that you are a child of God, that you have a new life, a new mind, a new heart, a new way of living, and a new community. Amen.